Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and I want to preach a message entitled uh, Decision Time. Decision Time. Back in 1949, Billy Graham was preaching uh, for Youth for Christ. He was preaching all over the United Kingdom, and he was preaching all over the United States. And there were many that were coming to faith in Christ. He had a friend that was whispering things to him and sharing with him uh, that you cannot believe, you cannot place your faith without intellectual suicide in the Word of God. Uh, This friend was saying it's proven that there are errors in God's Word. It is proven uh, that you can't believe where it came from. Uh, I mean, men wrote the Bible anyway. And so he was in the hills, in the mountains, uh, in California. And he was about to preach uh, for a retreat setting. And all of this was just coming down upon him at the same time. And so he took his Bible out to the mountains and he laid his Bible. Now listen to this. He laid his Bible on a tree stump. He got on his knees and as hot tears began to fall, he began to pray and he began to pray like this. God, I don't understand all of this word. I don't have all of the answers that my friend is bringing up. But I do believe that this is the Word of God. As that Bible lay on the the tree stump, he said, I do believe the entirety of God's Word, that this is God's Word from front to back. And he got up. And he left there, and the very next time he preached, hundreds came to Christ. He preached with more power and more authority than he ever did. A few weeks after that was the famous 1949 uh, tent revival that really uh, exploded Billy Graham into national and international fame. He came to a time in his life where he made a decision. I believe with all of my heart as we look at these six verses this morning, I believe with all of my heart that many in here, you've already come to that decision in your life. But there may be one or two in here, and there may be scores watching by Facebook Live that have not, they've not come to the decision that this is the Word of God. And so I want to share some truth with you today. And if you have your Bible, 1 John 2, allow your eyes to fall on verse 18, and let's read God's Word. John writes like this, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know 
that it is the last hour. Uh, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is antichrist who denies the father and the son whoever denies the son does not have the father either he who acknowledges the son has the father also let's pray together father god in the name of jesus we bow before you and earlier dear god as i prayed I mentioned, dear God, that the heart cannot exalt what the mind rejects. And so I pray, Father, that as we look at your word and as we look at this text, that when we leave out of this church house and as we head to our house, that, Father, that that our hearts will uh, be strong in your word. And, Lord, that there will be no doubts. We love you so much. Dear God, I pray that you would draw a circle around this preacher and let the fire of heaven fall. And we'll be careful to give you the thanks and the praise and the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are two things that I want us to notice in this passage of Scripture. I'm going to go ahead and give them to you uh, in case I forget. Uh, In verses 18 and 19, we're going to see a little something about time. A little something about time. And then in verses 20 through 23, we're going to see a little something about truth. When you look at this passage, he begins with these two words, little children. He's used those two words before, and he will use those two words uh, after this in the remainder of this epistle. Little children. What he is writing to, he is writing to the community of believers. What that means is this. He's writing to the church. He's writing to those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That community, as I said, of believers. The the church as a whole. He, He writes little children like this. Like a father would be writing to his kids. He's writing with affection, he's writing with endearment, he's, he's writing with, with care, he's writing with some warning, he's, he's just writing as a father to his kids. And so he says, little children, now notice this, it is, now notice this, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. That word last is eschatos in the Greek. It's where we get the word eschatology. Uh, The word eschatology means the study of last things. And so he says, as he's writing, uh, listen, it is the last hour. And and you look at me and you say, "Uh, Pastor, 
How can that be the last hour? Uh, This was written 2,000 years ago. Now, how many of you would agree 2,000 years? That's a pretty long time. All right, and so it's written 2,000 years ago, and so how could this be the last hour? Well, um, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, these words, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So in the scope of eternity, 2,000 years just been a couple of days, all right? And so when you look at it that way, you begin to understand what, what John is talking about. It is the last hour. Now, that word, those two words, uh, it means this. It means a critical season. Those two words, when, when you look at it, it means a, a final hour, a critical season, or a final hour. Um, Now, because of what was written here, and in other parts of God's Word, uh, there were those who had one or maybe two um, ways that they looked at this. They were either obsessed with it, or they could care less about it. There were those that were obsessed. I mean, they uh, all they wanted to talk about was that Jesus was coming back. They were quitting their jobs. It talks about that in the book of Thessalonians. They were quitting their jobs. And it would be like us, just all, the, all wanting to look at pie charts and, and just study about it all the time and, and put on a choir robe and get a, go up to Lookout Mountain and get in the lotus position and sing Kumbaya, my Lord. And that's, that's people who are obsessed with it. And then there are those who could care less about it in that day and in this day. In other words, uh, they just put their head in the sand. And they don't even want to think about the fact uh, that it is the last hour. Um, listen, uh, Warren Wiersbe said this, and I love this. Uh, Blessed are the balanced. When you look at the Word of God, you don't want to go to one extreme or the other. We need to be balanced in the Word of God. These words, last hour, when you look at it theologically and doctrinally, they begin, don't miss this, they begin at the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they stretch all the way to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Theologically, that is the last hour. And that's what he's writing about here. He's saying, little children, it is the last hour. It's the critical time. And as you have heard, now notice this, that the Antichrist is coming. You may want to look, that's capital A here in the New King James Version. The Antichrist, capital A. There is an Antichrist who is coming. He's called the beast in other portions of the Word of God. He's called the man of lawlessness. He's called the man of sin. He's called the willful king. He's called the son of destruction or the son of perdition. 
John talks about him twice in verse 18. He talks about him once in verse 22. He talks about him once in chapter 4 and verse 3 of this letter. And then he talks about him in chapter 2, or or excuse me, uh, 2 John 7. He talks about him, and he's the only one that uses this term antichrist. The others, as I said, use beast or little horn like Daniel does. But he's the only one that uses this, Antichrist. And and so we have to ask ourselves, what does that word mean? The word Antichrist means against Christ or instead of Christ. So if you were in our Revelation study on Wednesday night, you know that there is coming a man that's going to be possessed by the evil one that will set himself up as God. He's going to make a peace accord, and he's going to break that uh, during the tribulation period. And he is going to oppose the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we find a little bit about him in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the Antichrist. Uh, Daniel talked about the abomination of desolation, where he's going to set himself up as Christ in the temple. And so, so what, what John is saying is this, listen, I want to talk to you about a certain time. It's a critical time. It's the final hour. And the Antichrist is coming. But then he goes on and he's writing to his children and he's wanting them to understand and he's not wanting to scare them. But he says this, and But many, even now many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Many antichrists, a huge amount, a large amount of antichrists have come. What does he mean? He's talking about those who have the spirit of antichrist. He's talking about those who were in the church that opposed really the work and the person of Christ. He's talking about those who, listen carefully, just as Jude talked about, who had slipped in unaware. They're apostate. They had wormed their way in, and they were sneaky, and they were deadly. Jude says it like this. They went in to try to disrupt our love feast. And so John says, listen, there is a capital A Antichrist coming. But there are many Antichrists already on the scene. That's what the, 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 the tense there means. They are already on the scene. So what I'm saying is that's a big deal. You know, there are things that are big deals and there are things that are little deals. Last Sunday, I took off from here and... I headed to Zaxby's on Highway 58. I had a, a craving for some Zaxby's chicken. 
So I headed that way, and I went through the drive-thru. And as the lady, as the lady, as she was handing me my change, uh, it was like three $1 bills, and one of the dollars somehow got out of my grasp, and it blew away. A dollar. I just watched it. It blew away. And it blew under the car behind me. So I thought, well, that's a dollar. Boy, I hate that. That's a dollar. But I'm not going to get out and move that car for a dollar. Now, let me, let me tell you something. If that had been a $100 bill, I'd have gotten out. And I'd have said, could you back up a little bit? I'd probably get on my stomach and crawled under that car. Hey, if it had been a $20 bill, I might have done it too. Do you listen, there's a difference between a, a dollar and a $100 bill. Hey, listen, what, what John is saying is this. This is a big deal, and you need to, to pay attention. You need to, to be warned. There is an hour coming. It is a critical season. The Antichrist is coming, but there are many that are already here. And then he continues in verse 19. And I'm going to read it again. And I want to encourage you to underline in your Bible every time you see the word us. Underline it in your Bible. Notice what he says here. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. How many times did you count? Five. Five times. And you need to know, and you want to put in the margin of your Bible, that the us, of course, is the church. He said they went out from us. They went out from the church. And so what John is talking about is he's talking about bogus believers. He's talking about counterfeit Christians. Elusive imposters. That's exactly who he's talking about here when he says, listen, they went out from us. Don't miss this. They, they had gathered. They were in attendance. They had assembled with the church. They had been baptized, most of them. They had taken communion with the church, most of them. When the church sang... They lifted their voices. When the church prayed, they bowed their heads. They were just like Judas Iscariot. They were just like Judas Iscariot, who was a part of the group, but his heart was not right. And so what he's saying is this. Listen, they went out from us. I believe there are at least two ways that I want to talk about. First of all, they went out from us physically. They went out from us physically. In other words, um, they, they left the assembly. They left the church physically. And, and I just want to go ahead and say this. I am very skeptical of people who can take or leave the church of the living God. I am very skeptical of that. Because I believe with all of my heart that when you get the goods, that you want to gather with the people of God. 
Now, we're living in a crazy time, and I know, and I don't want folks here who are compromised uh, in, in their health. I understand that completely. I also understand uh, families with young children. We don't have nurseries now, and I completely understand that, that uh, a lot would want to worship online because of that. But church, there are people today who are going to Walmart and Cracker Barrel and Target and, and McDonald's and Zaxby's and, and Ace Hardware, and they're going everywhere but the house of the living God. And, and, and that concerns me. That concerns me because there is a danger, listen carefully, there is a danger in leaving us. I'm not talking about White Oak Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church of walking away physically. Now, there are folks who are sick, and there are folks that have to work, and, and there are folks that, that are worshiping online for a myriad of reasons. I'm talking about those who have just walked away. They've just walked away. Not only that, but there are those who have walked away doctrinally. Not just physically, but there are those who have walked away doctrinally. And I want you to notice this passage of Scripture again in verse 19. The, the, the B part. But they went out that they might be made manifest. You ought to underline that word manifest. It means conspicuous. It means evident it means visible that they might be made manifest that they were not of us john stott put it like this their departure was their unmasking eugene peterson put it like this listen they showed their true colors. And we're living in a time right now where folks have just decided that they can take church or, or they can leave it. John was writing as a, a father to children. He says, listen, listen, they, they were never a part of us. And, and when they walked out physically and doctrinally, it was made manifest of that. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 21 and 22, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Boy, that's a word. You've heard me say from this pulpit often, a faith that fizzles before the finish had a fault at first. A faith that fizzles before the finish had a fault at first. First, I believe Adrian Rogers is the first one that I heard say that, and I stole that years ago, and I've said it over. I borrowed it. I didn't steal it. I borrowed it, and I've said it over and over and over and over. He says a little something about time. It's the critical season. This is the final hour. And then he's going to say something about truth, 
And it begins in verse 20, but you. Say that with me, but you. Say it one more time, but you. But you. There's a contrast there. He said, I've been talking about apostates. I've been talking about people who started out okay, but then now the FBI can't find them on Sunday morning. I've been talking about that, but listen, hey, but you, there's a contrast here. You are authentic. You are genuine. You are real. Here's the truth why. Because you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Some of you are in school right now. You say, well, if I know all things, I'm just going to quit. That's not what that means. Listen, you know all things. But you have an anointing. That word is unction. In other words, you've been set apart by the Holy One. And what John is saying is this. You have the Holy Spirit of God within you. When you gave your heart to Jesus, you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. He took up residence within you. And because of that, you can know all truth. You see, the, the Gnostics were walking around, and they were going into the church, and they were saying, we are enlightened. We know the mysteries. Hey, we have been illuminated and what John is saying is this, only believers have been initiated into the truth because they have the Holy Spirit of God. It is so, so important. The Bible says in John 17 and verse 17, these words, Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word, Jesus said, your word is truth. So that's why he says here, you have an anointing, you have the Holy Spirit. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. In other words, I'm reminding you so that you won't be duped. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Church, listen to me. Please listen to me. There's going to come a time in your life, in college, in high school, at Starbucks, where Dr. Dry as Dust and Professor Test Tube is going to try to tell you that this is not accurate. It happened to me in the early 80s at UTC. A professor in 1980, when was I there? Three. That the whole time he was talking was drinking coffee and smoking as he taught. The, the, the lecture hall was full it was anthropology, and, and as I sat there, he was telling us that, that we came from monkeys. I was a tadpole when I began to begin. Then I was a frog with my tail stuck in. I grew to be a monkey in a coconut tree, and now I'm a man with a Ph.D. No way. 
No way. And I sat there in that, in that class and I did everything but stick my tongue out at him. You're not going to tell me, you're not going to tell me that this is not the Word of God. You say, how do you know? I'm so glad you asked. I know because, one of the reasons I know is because of the way it, was, it came together. It is documented, it is historical fact that over 40 authors penned this book. Over 40. Some were shepherds, some were kings, some were fishermen. Uh, you had a doctor thrown in there, a fig pruner, a sunburned prophet. I mean, over 40 penned this. Over a 1,600-year time period. 1,600-year time period. On three different continents, and I've been on all three, Africa, Asia, and Europe, they wrote this. Over 60 generations in three languages, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And yet, with all of that, there's one common thread. There's one common theme. There is a harmony in the Word of God. There's no other book like the Word of God written over that length of time. And over a thousand times, the writers said this, Thus saith the Lord. This is not coming from me. This is coming from the Lord. You see... He inspired man to write the Word of God. This is really the Word of God. It's the breath of God. That's why I believe this is His Word. He inspired it. There's no other book like this book. I believe it because of the way it came together. I believe it because of the manuscripts. Church, did you realize that there are over 6,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. I've laid my eyes on some of them over in Israel. There are over six, you say whoop-de-doo. Hey, listen, the very next, the very next one is Homer's Iliad. There's only 643 manuscripts of that. Only 49, I think, of what Aristotle wrote. Not many of what Julius Caesar wrote, but over 6,000 manuscripts. You say, preacher, it's been altered and it's been changed. I tell you, you can go back and 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 go back to within a hundred years. And if, if what they found in cave 7 is accurate... Within 50 or 60 years of the time of Jesus. You can go back there and you can follow it all the way down. And there's no difference except for maybe some punctuation or spelling. We don't have the originals. Of course, it's 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. You have the originals of any book back then. But what you have is you have these copies. You see, the Old Testament... Moses wrote the first five books, placed into the tabernacle. And then the other books were, were placed into the temple, and Ezra was the custodian of all of that. 
that, that made up the Old Testament, and they kept watch on that. And then, then you had the apostles and those who were connected to the apostles who wrote it all out. There's a verse that just came to my mind. You need this. You're going to underline it. You're going to shout. Look at, well, where is it? Uh, Luke 24. Flip back to Luke 24 in your Bible. Luke 24, and I want to read verse 44. Look at what Jesus affirmed it. Luke 24 and verse 44. Listen to these words. I'm trying to hurry. Then he said to them, Jesus said, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written, here it is, in the law of Moses, the the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, and in the prophets... The prophets made up all of those minor and major prophets. And then it says, and the Psalms. The Greek there is the writings. That made up the Psalms and the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, the Ecclesiastes, and all of that. And so what what Jesus is saying is this. These have been fulfilled that were written in, and he's authenticating the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, the Psalms, the whole Old Testament. Do you realize that that Jesus in the New Testament, that he talked about Abel, that he talked about Abraham, that he talked about Adam, that he talked about David, and he talked about Daniel, and he talked about Elijah, and he talked about Moses, and he talked about Noah. Did I say Jonah? Jonah. He talked about all of these and said, hey, they're real. And so I believe in the Word of God because there, there's the manuscript. When you look at the manuscript, there's better documentation. There's better history than any other book of antiquity. Did you know, and this is fascinating... If they destroyed all 6,000 documents, manuscripts, did you know that they could take the writings of the early church fathers? You know, I don't write a whole lot down. But back then they did. And when they were going to preach on something, they would write the verses out. And you can take the early church fathers, and you can find every verse in the New Testament except for 11. And we could redo the whole New Testament. You're saying, what are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say, I believe it because of the way it came together. No other book came together like this. I believe it because of the manuscript. You can go back and see the the truth, the authenticity of it. And I believe it because of prophecy. When this was written, do you realize that 27% of it was prophetic when it was written? 27% of it. And church, listen, no other religious book writes with prophecy. I've read the Koran. There's no prophecy. The Book of Mormon, there's nothing prophetic. The sayings of Buddha... But almost a third of the Bible was prophetic when it was written. 
and is absolutely accurate. Absolutely, 100% accurate. Let me just give you one thing, and, and I'm, I promise you I'm coming to a close. Let, 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 me, let me just give you one thing. In the Old Testament, there were thir- 333 prophecies of the first coming of Jesus. But if you just took eight of them, just eight of them, and Josh McDowell shares this, and I've heard others share it in other ways. If you just took eight of them being fulfilled in one man like they were, the likelihood of that would be 10 to the 17th power. You say, I don't even know what that, I can't comprehend that, neither can I. But this is, this is, this is the word picture. How many of you have ever been to Texas? Anybody ever been to Texas? All right, a bunch of you have been to Texas. I've been to Oklahoma, that's as far as I've been. But, but the word picture is this, taking silver dollars and putting them all over the land mass of Texas, two feet deep, and taking one silver dollar and painting it red and dropping it in the middle of Texas, and then taking a week with bulldozers and moving that stuff everywhere and blindfolding one man and let him start out at the coast and tell him to walk and stop one time and reach down and pick up that red coin. That's the likelihood of all of this happening. And that's just eight prophecies. Not the over 300 just simply about the coming of Christ. Listen, no other book. So, so this is the stuff that I studied when I was a kid. And that's when, when Dr. Ward stood up there and was talking all his stuff. I was like, taint so when he stood up there and said, listen, you cannot believe the Word of God, I said to myself, taint so you can believe the Word of God. I believe, listen, you've heard me for almost 11 years now say this, if I did not believe that this was the Word of God and that there was no error, I would put it somewhere and I'd go get a job doing something else. But I do believe it's the Word of God. I do believe it's the Word of God. Here in our text, the Bible says this, who is a liar? Who is a liar? He answers it. He who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father. What's he saying? Listen, if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, the word Jesus means Savior. The word Christ means anointed one, promised one, and Messiah. If you deny 
that Jesus Christ is the one that came and lived and died and was buried and three days later up from the grave he arose. If you deny that, you are an antichrist. You have the spirit of antichrist and you are a liar. That's why you got to be so careful. We're here to tell you about another testament of Jesus. Okay, let's talk about it then. Saturday morning, you got to be careful when you're on your porch. Because I'm telling you, what they're saying about Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. They use the same vocabulary, but a different dictionary. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. And what John is saying is they're liars. They're denying Jesus. We left old Billy Graham, didn't we, a couple minutes ago? That friend who was whispering to him is Chuck Templeton. Chuck Templeton in the 40s was by all accounts a better preacher than Billy Graham. He was a greater orator. He drew bigger crowds. Chuck Templeton was used more often. But he began to doubt that this was God's Word. He got into liberal theology. He went on to Princeton. And he's the one that told Graham that if you preach it the way you're preaching it, you are committing intellectual suicide. Chuck Templeton, if you follow his life, is really a miserable life. And he wrote a book called Farewell to God that is one of the saddest books you would ever want to read. Lee Strobel interviewed him because Lee Strobel was an atheist that came to Christ. So Lee Strobel interviewed him right before Chuck Templeton died. And Strobel says this, that as I was talking to him, he looked at me and continued to deny the Bible. But this is what he said. I paraphrase. I paraphrase. He said, you know what? Jesus, the historical Jesus, was a good man. He was a noble man. And then as a tear dropped out of his eye, he said, and I miss him. But he died without Christ. Because yes, Jesus is a good man and he was a noble man. But he's also the Savior of the world. And I just want you to know, listen, I want you to know that in middle school and in high school and in college and at Starbucks or wherever you might be, there are going to be those that will stand up and say, this is an antiquated book. It is out of fashion. It is not accurate. And they don't know what they're talking about. I've spent 35 years of my life studying this book. And I've looked at every argument that can be made. 
And I can tell you, listen, in my heart, this is the word of the living God. And when you walk away from it, you're heading toward disaster. It's a slippery slope toward disaster. Just ask Chuck Templeton. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I have gone way over into overtime. Way over into overtime. And as Andrew begins to play, I just want you to search your heart. Has Satan tried to creep doubt into your life about the Word of God? Maybe right there where you are, you just need to say, this is my decision time. This is my decision time. Or maybe you're here today and you have never given your heart to Christ. And that is your decision today. You want to walk down this aisle. I'm going to ask Laz if he'd come and stand here in front, just stand here in front this evening, or this morning rather. If you're here today and you want to give your heart to Jesus, I want to encourage you to come and just take him by the hand and say, I, I, want, to, I want to be saved today. Or maybe you've been troubled by the things that John says here. And you need to make a decision right there where you are, maybe at an altar. Or maybe today's the day you want to join this fellowship. We'd love to have you. If you've been with us, you want to join, we'd love to have you and come and we'll get your information. Maybe you want to be baptized next week when we baptize. I'm going to stand here at this podium. Laz is down front in the middle and I'm going to pray. And as I pray, as Andrew plays, why don't you come? Father God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we bow before you right now. And dear God, in the quietness of this moment, in the quietness of this moment, I pray that you would do a number on our hearts. The heart, dear God, cannot embrace what the mind rejects. So I pray that we will embrace it intellectually and emotionally and spiritually in Jesus name heads are bowed eyes are closed would you stand heads are bowed eyes are closed no one looking around heads are bowed eyes are closed as we stand if you want to give your heart to Christ you come you can share with Laz here if you want to be baptized or today's the day you want to join this fellowship today right now is the time to come just walk out and come Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we bow before you and I thank you so much for your word. It's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, I pray that 
when we walk out of this place, that no matter if we're 7, 70, younger or older, that we would have a renewed belief and trust in the Word of God. Lord Jesus, go with us today. Help us to think about your Word, the Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. High five somebody. Thank you for being here. See you next time.